you know, normally whenever we start the show, we talk about when you first got to the varsity at the high school level, who was the first person to bust your butt, but you had a unique experience. You were a four-year starter. So it didn't really, it wasn't really a big jump for you out there when you started Artesia, but you said when you got to Baylor, there was somebody that busted your butt. So what was that story, coach? Yeah. So, you know, we getting to college, you, you see that the speed of the game is different and, you know, you're, you go from being the big fish in the, the little pond to, Hey, I'm not the biggest, strongest dude around. And, you know, I, I remember days where we would do blitz pickup against the offense and John Erickson played left tackle for us. And, and John was a big dude. And, and if I wasn't fast enough or technique wise enough, if John got his hands on me, he'd lock me out. I was, I was done. I couldn't reach him. I couldn't do anything. He'd be like, Haddock, you're done. I'm allowed to look at him and go, okay, John, you know, <laughs> I get it. So, you, you know, think, things like that, that, that just kind of make you go, Ooh, the game's a little different at this level. And, and I need to make that adjustment. Um, but, but always guys that, that took care of each other in practice and, uh, we're really close as a team. It always feel like I need one more boy and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bump my head, lost my mind, insuring them. I'm just fine. I'm good enough, but I need one more boy. One more line, record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head, lost my mind, insuring them. I'm just fine, I'm good enough, but I need one more boy. One more line, record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head, lost my mind, insuring them. I'm just fine, I'm good enough. But you be told I need some therapy. Initially, ain't do it voluntarily, but now I got a legacy. All right, welcome back to another brand new edition of the Team Player Podcast. I'm joined by a very special guest today. I know whenever I post an episode, the first like I always get is from this guy. So I know he's been listening. I've had him on my list, and I've been waiting for the right time to get him in here. He is the assistant head coach slash defensive coordinator and recruiting coordinator for Fort Ben Clements, who had a just a beautiful turnaround season last year. He's also the head track coach. And we're going to talk about that season at Clements. I know Clements intimately having a coach there. and there, It was just such a beautiful year. But welcome to the Team Player Podcast, Coach Jason Haddock. Thank you very much. I, I jokingly, when you asked me to be honest, I said, man, it's about time. But no, I, I really, I really am uh, grateful that you're having me on and humbled to be able to spend some time with you today. Hey, if you're a fan of the show, like coach Haddock has been, please take the 10 seconds. Give us that five-star review on Apple podcasts or Spotify. It helps us because now when people search for sports podcasts, our, our name will start popping up and more people will hear these stories. You subscribe, hit the follow button. That way you get a new episode every Sunday at 2 PM right there in your queue. If you want uh, team player updates, you can follow me on Twitter at coach underscore K-O-V-O. That's coach underscore K-O-V-O. I'm Coach Kobo. I'm your host. And, you know, outside of that, just, just keep it going. You can leave a review. Any new reviews that we get, I read them out here on the show. But we appreciate all the support. It, this thing is growing. And uh, it's been a really exciting time here at Team Player Podcast. But all right, Coach, let's dive into it. Your early life. You're, you're, a, little, you're, you're a military kid. So you moved around a lot because your dad was in the Air Force. He said, after he retired from the Air Force, you ended up settling in, in Artesia, New Mexico. That's in yep. southwest New Mexico. I'd say about halfway between El Paso and Lubbock. So just kind of tell us, what, what was that like gr growing up as, an, as a, a military kid? Yeah, so, you know, growing up as a military kid was, was great. And, and I was able to move around a lot and adapted to it very well. Um, don't know a stranger. You know, you, yeah. you're at a place for two or three, maybe four years tops, and then 
Um, and then you, you move and it's like, well, you've, you've got to get to know new people. And there are times where you do the wrong thing or say the wrong thing. Cause you don't know, you know, and you, you take that and you learn from it and you go and, um, and it was, it was definitely a lot of fun. Um, it's what drove me to want to be uh, in the military myself. Um, my dad, his two brothers, my mom's dad and her brother were all career air force. Um, my, my dad's father was uh, in the army during world war II in the mm -hmm. artillery mm -hmm. uh, over in the European theater. So um, we've got a big history of uh, military service in the family. And that's what I'd always, that's what I grew up wanting to do is to put on the, the blue uniform and, and go. And then at, so at, after, you know, you moved on a lot, you settled down in Artesia, but then you said mm -hmm. really after you spent more time in Marble Falls. So yeah, just, so yeah, go um, ahead and speak that a little bit. Yeah. So dad got out of the Air Force right after Desert Storm. He hit his 20 years and retired and he was in healthcare. And so we got a job um, at the hospital in Artesia and we, we moved there and um, you gave kind of a good region. Um, another kind of look is it's smack between Carlsbad and Roswell. So okay. got yep. the caverns on one yep. side and the aliens on the other. So, <laughs> um, and uh, um, interesting fact about Artesia, a lot of this, the, the, the houses in town have uh, shelters, bunkers underneath the house because during the Cuban missile crisis, Artesia was one of the targets um, because there are three or four refineries there in town and, um, they supplied a lot of the petroleum and, and gas and, and things like that to the military and um, definitely uh, for the country at the time. So it's, it's just kind of neat. You I'd go mow somebody's lawn and they've got a bunker underneath their house. Okay. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, but we, we were there for, uh, we were there for four years and, and had a great time. Um, Landry Jones grew up down the street from me and wow. uh, my, my mom, he was so much younger than me. My mom knew him, uh, you know, remembered the family more than I did, but um, I was, I lived right across the street from Cooper Henderson, the head coach. And, uh, and that was a great opportunity to, to get some early time with, with the, the boss man uh, and, and kind of start my career off. And uh, it was a great place to be. We rode bikes all over town. I mean, it's your, it was your quintessential, um, you know, American dream town at the time and, and great to grow up and just, you know, when the streetlights come on, get your butt home. And other than that, go have fun. You know, and that was a lot of fun. And then, uh, after my freshman year, we moved to Marble Falls. Dad got a job at the hospital and burn it. We settled in Marble Falls and mom and dad are still there now. Um, Marble Falls was great growing up. We'd, we'd get out of practice and go fishing, you know, and one of the, one of the best memories I have, my, my best friend, moved there the same year I did and we got done with practice still had shorts and shimmels on and went to go fishing and my buddy got his truck stuck and we're like I will deal with it later and these two guys roll up and they they were drunk as a skunk and they looked at <laughs> us and they went oh y'all play for Marble Falls we had it on our shirt yes sir uh, and they go oh you're stuck we'll pull you out and they, they pulled us out yeah they said all right y'all have fun and it, we'd go fishing you know and it, it was a great place to grow up you didn't have to have a boat to enjoy the lakes you know, he swim a lot and jumping off uh, some of the cliffs that they have there and fishing like crazy. And um, so it was just a lot of fun and a great small town to grow up in. You know, I'm, I, I, one interesting thing about you, coach, you were a football star for your four year varsity starter, but you also played on the other, you know, what the rest of the world calls football. You played on the soccer team. I, you know, and, I did. Yeah. And you were, and you're, you're not, a, you're not a four year starter at kicker. You're a linebacker. <laughs> You know what yeah. I mean? Because uh, we've all yeah. had the kicker that comes out. Y'all had an excellent kicker this year from the girls' soccer team, which was just so impressive. But we'll mm -hmm. talk more about that later down the show. But talk to us about that. You don't see that often, a linebacker doubling on the soccer team. So what was that like? 
Sure. So um, the the same year that I moved to Marble, uh, we had a new coach move in. His name's Donnie Funderburg, and um, Funderburg is only a couple years older than I am. You know, he was it was his second school that he taught at his first year uh, school coaching, and uh, and he coached on the offense uh, for football, but he was also the head soccer coach and. Uh, he's a guy that I grew to develop a really close relationship with. Um, he was best man in my wedding. Wow. Yeah. We're still very close. Um, I recently co-authored uh, a book, the impact of influence volume four that's uh, headed up by Chip Baker. Yeah. And, um, and I was able to, to write about coach Funderburg in that book as uh, being a coach that was impactful to me and other kids around me at the time. and still is. Um, and, uh, and he was the head soccer coach and, so senior year, there were about four or five of us football guys that kind of went, you know what, uh, let's, let's go play soccer. And, and I, I, I did it because I wanted to go play for him, Yeah, you know, yeah. And, and ended up, I, I was not one of those guys that could dribble around cones and be up there scoring. But defensively, I could run you down. I could take the ball away and clear it up to the front. So, yeah. uh, and it's amazing because that experience, just wanting to go play for that coach, um, my first public school job I got because I knew soccer yeah. and, and got the head soccer job at, at Hillsborough and was also a football coach as well. But um, I've gotten several jobs where it's been like, oh, you're a football guy that actually knows soccer. Right. Uh, let's let's go ahead and hire you. So um, really cool how that, you know, 15 odd years later down down the road made an impact and opportunities for me. And, and speaking of that, you, you said in your bio that you played soccer at Baylor your freshman year. So you, you continued on. It wasn't just a, hey, one-time one shot. You, you continued on in college. I did. There were, there were not a lot of schools that were looking to recruit a, a 5'10 um, linebacker at, at the college level for football mm -hmm. at the time. And, um, and there still aren't. But um, <laughs> Mary Hart and Baylor was the only school that was really trying to recruit me. And that was their first year having a team. Mm -hmm. um, and I had an ROTC scholarship to Baylor. Um, so I, I went to Baylor instead. Uh, and the soccer team um, had tryouts and I had decided ahead of time I wanted to walk on and go try and play. Uh, and I ended up making the team and starting at fullback for that season. The only games that we lost that year were to UT because wow. um, they were in our division. But we traveled all over Texas and and had a lot of fun. Um, my grades did not have a lot of fun. Um <laughs> And, uh, and because of that, I, I took some time off from soccer after the season was over and got my grades straight. And then I said, you know what, I, I miss football um, and, and I, I want to go play. There was another guy in ROTC who was on the soccer or on the football team, excuse me. And I was able to able to talk with uh, David Canini is his name. I was able to talk with David about going out. And like I said, uh, you know, 42 of us uh, walked on uh, four of us made the team and um, and, you know, I, I keep in touch with those guys quite a bit still, you know, it's um, we have that, that bond, as you know, with the, you know, with, with college teammates, that that's something that's a little bit different. So. And now you work for one of your, your college teammates. I do. Uh, you know, a, a guy that I'm a huge fan of, I've known for a long time, Bobby Darnell. So can you, can you entertain us with any good Bobby Darnell college stories? I know we're all dying to hear them. Um, <laughs> college stories. Not real. I mean, Bobby played offense. I played defense. We didn't have a, you know, we were in separate areas of the locker sure. room. We didn't have a ton of crossover, but I, I know that we were at parties and stuff together and just, just having just the shared experience to sit down and go, 
hey, do you remember when so-and-so did this? Or do you remember when we were playing in this game and, and this happened? Or, yeah. hey, have you talked to this other person lately? Um, just recently, we had a, a former teammate pass away. And, and I had heard about it, and, and Bobby didn't know about it. And I said, hey, man, did you hear? And he said, oh, I, I didn't. So we were able to sit down and you know, talk about him just a little bit and, and, and share some stories about him. So um, it, it's, it's, there are times where we'll just stop what we're doing in the office, and Bobby and I will have a Baylor football conversation yeah. you know, about things that happened or, or how things are now compared to the way they were then. And it's just it's fun. It really is to be – teammates in a different way now than we were teammates too many years ago you know a couple of things I wanted to ask you about that you know your head coach was Kevin Steele and you played linebacker for Brick Haley's currently the D-line coach at Minnesota but the <laughs> thing that interested me was one of the players you listed as an, an older player that really welcomed you in when you walked on was Odell James yeah and that's a name that you know it, it's a little before my time but I definitely know of it because I, I coached at Aldean and so up there in the press box at Thorne Stadium Odell James's photo is proudly displayed there. You know, he's a former MacArthur general, was one of the best in the state, very heavily sought after. So can you, I'm, you listed a couple of other guys. I don't, I want to definitely give them their due. I mean, you also listed uh, Chris Michaud uh, and McKinley Bowie, but at mm -hmm. least for me, Odell James rings a, you know, is, is personal to me. So I just, I'm curious, what was, can you just tell us a little more? What was Odell James like? And You know, um, when I got there, Odell was our starting quarterback and, and he ended up playing safety a little bit, but you know, Odell was, uh, I guess around the football team, the way I saw him, Odell was like when you see that quintessential quarterback in, in a high school movie that's walking around and everybody knows him and everybody yeah. loves him. And, yeah. and that's just kind of um, – and that may have just been, you know, 19-year-old me going, oh, man, that dude's the dude, and here I am. I'm a walk-on. Um, but uh, in the glasses that I saw it through at the time, but but thinking back, just the way that, uh, that he treated – the walk-ons the those of us that were trying to get reps to make the offense better day in and day out. And it wasn't a looking down on us. It wasn't, you know, anything like that. It was just, Hey man, we appreciate you. And, and you're part of this team just as much as I am. That's awesome. And and that's the feeling that I got from him and, and how I saw him treat the rest of the team and the guys around him. It was never, I'm better than you because I'm the dude. Uh, you know, it was always, hey, we're all part of the team. And and I, I learned a lot from the way I saw him treat the younger guys and the guys around him. You know, there was there was none of the where you'll see stuff in teams where it's like, oh, the older guys haze the younger guys because the right. older guys went through it, too. There, right. there really wasn't any of that, you know, and and uh, and if there was, it was it was hey, we're going to pour Gatorade on you on your birthday or, or right, you know, protein right, shakes right. or, you know, stuff like that that was just simple. But, you know, I think Odell really um, just uh, exemplified the we're all part of the team no matter who we are and we all have a role to play. And I think I learned a lot from that. You know, and if there are some longtime, you know, Clements fans that tune into this one, I remember a player that I watched when I was coming up through middle school, Jonathan Golden was a star running back for a Clemens team that was like y'all, you know, had a very good season, won the district championship that year, made it to the playoffs, you know, mm -hmm. that particular season. And I know that he went to Baylor, but did, he did, did. you cross paths with? Yeah. Yeah. Jay Golly played with us. Um, and he, uh, God, he was a year two behind me. I think he was class of 2000 coming out of high school. So too. Um, so he was there with, with Bobby and me and, uh, and again, an offensive guy, but, He's a dude that played a lot on offense, and I was mostly on the scout team for defense. So we, we got to spend a lot of time together yeah, in, yeah. in that respect. 
Uh, and he was a great guy and still is. Um, I haven't run into him in a couple of years, but you know, I mean, to go from being teammates there to we were sitting together at a, at a teammate's wedding two years ago and Jonathan's um, girlfriend was there at the time. And um, she's an immigration lawyer and a good friend of mine is trying to bring his now wife um, over from Mexico and needed an yeah. immigration lawyer. And I ended up hooking them up and that's who he that's used great. to help. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It just, yeah. you know, just, just crazy little stories like that, you know? So, um, but yeah, Jonathan's uh, still here in the Houston area uh, and, and doing well at great last time I saw him. So, um, uh, but yeah, he also a Clemens guy. So it's, it's cool to see, you know, you walk in in the hallway and there's, there's a picture of Bobby in high school or there's yeah. a picture of Jonathan in high school. <laughs> oh, I know those guys. <laughs> right, 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 right. So then after Baylor, you, know, you played two years at linebacker for the Sentex Wolves of Wolves mm -hmm. of the North American Football League. So just describe what that experience is like. I mean, for most of us, most of us don't get to play in college. You know, we hang up the cleats in high school. But for those of us lucky enough, a lot of us, it ends at college. So you got to, you know, keep going for two more years. So what was that experience like? Yeah, so it's just a semi-pro league. And, and the North American Football League was folded into one of the leagues that's still running now. Um, and uh, Odell actually played quarterback for us for one of the two seasons that I was there. Um, so he and I were able to be teammates again. Um, and, uh, and it was, it was a lot of fun, you know, it was, uh, again, making an adjustment in, um, the game is a little bit different at the next level. Um, but, but having already done that once, I kind of was expecting and knew how to make that adjustment. You know, I didn't have to trip my way through it. Uh, but it was fun, you know, I had some, had some great teammates and, um, uh, Paul Kluge was my linebackers coach there. He was a Baylor letterman. Um, and he has since passed away, but it was, it was great to have an opportunity to have another Baylor guy there coach me um, and, and to have that dude from the previous generation, also a Baylor bear um, to have that connection with him as well. So um, it was a lot of fun. And, and we traveled around a little bit um, between Dallas and Austin and some other places and, um, and played our games. And, you know, it was, it, it, it's like guys that go take, uh, GA jobs and QC jobs in college level where you're getting paid little to nothing, but you're doing it because you love it. And you yep. know where it, it may go for you. It was, it was doing it because we loved it. And we, everybody go to work and then get off of work and, and, you know, meet at the field for practice in the evenings. And, yeah, yeah. and, you know, um, it, it was just a lot of fun. You know, we had a really good time and, um, and got to meet some great guys and have some great experiences, but yeah, you know, you finally get to that point where it's like, okay, it's, it's time to hang it up. And, and I hit that point after those two years. So. No, and yeah, I think that's great. You're not the, uh, Aislinn Garza is another team player podcast alum that's, that she played for the Houston energy. And I, and, mm -hmm. and she described just like you did coach, just the love of the game, the com camaraderie of the teammates. I mean, I, I'm just, I'm so happy you got the opportunity to do that. Definitely sounds like great experience. Now coach, you know, this, cause you listen to the show. I always, I'm keeping stats on, if you knew heading into college that you wanted to coach and my numbers are kind of surprising to me, at least at first, only 33% of my guests who are some of the best coaches in the city and the state in the country, only 33% of them so far knew entering as a college freshman that they, they knew they're going to be a coach. What that tells me is it's never too late to start. You know, Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm curious about you. What, what, what was your background as far as coaching? I, I did not, you know, I wanted to, um, I had, I had the ROTC scholarship, right. Um, right. I was going air force all the way. And, and, you know, you kind of, at that age, you think I have everything mapped out. I'm going to graduate. I'm going to go get this job and get married and have this family and, and, um, life has a way of being life. And, uh, and so, uh, 
it's it's that was where I wanted to go and that's what I wanted to do. And I had had conversations with my parents and my mom, especially that, you know, the, the things that she saw me doing in life were either being in the air force or, or being a coach. And, and after I got off of active duty, I, I kind of didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, I, I bounced around a little bit uh, and ended up in accounting doing audit. And it, it was a check and I'd go to work and I'd come home and it was, it was a check, you know, it wasn't something I loved going to do. And, and, you know, I, I, I'd come home and that was the attitude I had with it. And that didn't make my wife feel good because that didn't make her feel stable. And, and, uh, I ended up, um, we had a summer where we lost a lot of clients because of the change and some national healthcare issues. And about three or four of us that had hired last were the first ones that got let go. Yep. And, and I had been coaching at a private school there in Waco, but, um, you know, private school coaching does not really pay the bills, mm -hmm. unfortunately at the high school level. And, and so I said, okay, I was talking with my mom and she said, you know, I told you, I either saw you in the air force or I saw you coaching. And that's when it really clicked for me. Oh, I can go do this full time and get paid for it. Okay. Um, so I, I went with, uh, uh, Texas teachers to get my alternative certification. And it was the, it was the summer that. Um, I guess it was the summer of 2010, um, because I remember it was when they had the World Cup in South Africa, and and the 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 Zuzu Veles were going, and everybody was blowing those horns, and I'm in the front of the house doing my online classes and listening to the games really loud on the surround sound, and my wife's across the house doing work because she was working from home at the time, and she'd come and go, do, do you have to listen to it that loud? All I can hear is the hum from the horns. <laughs> Um, but, but that was, yeah, Air Force is where I was going. And, and you know, that was my 20-year career that I had mapped out in my head. And, and the Lord said, I'm going to open a different door for you. And, and I haven't looked back. And, and, man, I love, I absolutely love what I do. And there are days where I go, I can't believe these suckers are paying me to do this. This is great. <laughs> um, but, but please keep paying me. <laughs> I got to yeah, put a roof yeah. over, the, over the family, you know. But, <clears throat> I, I mean, there are days where like any job you, you kind of scratch your head and go, man, this is tough, but I, I love the kids. Um, I love being able to teach and it's not just teaching in the classroom. If you're not a good teacher, you're not going to be a good coach. You know, so much of what we do on the field is teaching and, and then just to create the relationships with these kids that, like I said, I had coaches create with me where now as a 42 year old, I can call, one, one or two of my coaches from, from high school or college and just go, Hey, look, I need to talk and be able to do that now, you know, to create those relationships with kids that I've coached. It's, it's important to me, you know, and, and the, those, those things were portrayed to me and showed to me by other coaches. And like I said, I just, I just hope that I'm doing a great job of passing that along so that an influence that was had on me is an influence that can be had on somebody else. Oh, you most definitely are coach. And it, it obviously the players, but even other coaches, you know, I had, like I told you, I had Sergio Gonzalez on the show recently, you know, and mm -hmm. I, I was asking about some of the guys from Marshall when he was there. And then, of course I brought your name up, you know, someone that I know and respect. And he, he looked at me and he kind of just said, Haddock, Haddock is not going to let you beat him. Like he, he's just, he's not going to, he's not going to, like he, he is going to outwork you. He is going to, he is just not going to allow himself to lose. And I think there's something to that with guys that maybe come into the profession a little bit later, like you were doing something else. Mm -hmm. I, I've seen that many a time and I listen to a lot of podcasts and I like to highlight the podcast. I listen to You You mentioned coach Nash. That's the I coach mm -hmm. podcast is the next yep. one. 
Hanging of Coach Noonan. That's another one. Fans of my show, the Team Player Podcast, check out Hanging of Coach Noonan. He's great. And there was a guy on there named Matt Arafat. And his episode, he was similar to you. He, you know, he was in finance for a couple of years, just, but he, he didn't have the love for it. And he came back. And now coaches like you and him, you're industry leaders. You, you guys are involved in, co- in professional organizations. You're involved in, on Twitter, you know, in the chalk wars and, you know, and all the, everything about it. You're, you're, leading, you're leading your profession. And so, again, I just say that for anyone listening to this show that you've always thought you wanted to coach, but you, you think, oh, I'm, uh, you know, I, I've been out a couple of years or I'm, I'm going to have to start at the bottom. I'm never going to catch up. That's not true. You know, that's not true. So I, I definitely, there's something to that coach. I've just seen so many coaches of your story and you're, what you've done is amazing. And I, I can't wait to highlight it, you know, as we go through here, but let's get into your resume now as a coach. Sure. The, some of your later stops I want to talk about in depth. So I'm going to group these first three together, not, not to, not to shortchange them, but I'll just sure. I'll group them together and let you just comment on it. But you started at Live Oak Classical in Waco. You kind of alluded to that a little bit. You mm-hmm. also were at Hillsboro uh, in 2010, and then you're at Waco High in 2011. So just in those first three stops, I'm going to put those together. What, sure. Anything you want to share with us from those first three stops? Um, yeah, I loved, uh, I loved Live Oak and, and being able to watch, um, we, we started the team. Um, the school had never had a football team and Jordan Barker was our head coach and Jordan brought me on as his DC and it was like three of us coaching and that was it. Um, and, and six man football moves a little differently than, than 11 man football does. Um, and if, if people don't know the history of six man football or they do eight man football a lot up in the Midwest, I suggest you go, go read about it. You know, there's some great resources out there, but it's a fun game. Um, and scores can get absolutely outrageous. It's like watching an NBA game score wise sometimes. Um, but, uh, being able to take and grow those kids to, to only losing a handful of games in three years. And then the year after I left winning state in TCAL and, um, they've got a bunch of state titles between uh, TCAL and TAPS now uh, for that program. It's fantastic, and I'm proud of, of what we uh, what we started there. Um, to, to working in Hillsboro and still being connected with some of those coaches. Um, um, uh, Marcus Schultz, who's the head coach at Humble right now, I was there with him. Austin um, College and, alum, and, like myself. Uh, yep, yep. Shout out, Ruth. Yep. And, uh, and and I mean, he and I were we were at a, the same track meet uh, back in the spring, and it was it's great to get to catch up with him. And now that he's a head coach, to pick his brain and how do you handle this situation and deal with these things? But because we have that previous relationship, you know, I can do that. And, um, and then just a random conversation at the state soccer tournament while I'm at Hillsboro leading to a call three months later going, Hey, there's a soccer football spot open at Waco high. Are you interested in, um, and, and moving over to that job and, um, and I learned a lot while I was there, had a lot of, uh, a lot of fun those couple of years there um, in the Waco area for that first grouping. And then, so after that, you, you made the move back to Houston mm-hmm. and you, you're the defensive coordinator of Booker T Washington, right there in yep. Independence Heights, you know, right near yep. the heart of the city. And so I'm, I'm curious, what brought you back to Houston? What was the, the motivator for that? Sure. So my wife's family's from here. My wife went to uh, Ailey Felsick okay. and her parents are here. Her grandmother, um, who's passed recently was still alive at the time and grand was here. And, uh, one of my wife's two brothers was still here. So, um, just coming down here and, you know, my wife said she never thought she'd move back to Houston and we've been here since 2013 and <laughs> kind of don't really want to leave. So, yeah. um, uh, it, that was, that was kind of what brought us down here. And, and I had, um, I had some, some opportunities for interviews, uh, Will Blaylock, who is the head coach, uh, who's a head coach out in Lubbock now, um, was at the time at Crosby and Will, uh, was a former Baylor guy. He played after me. Um, and we had met working camp with Odell James actually. 
Um, Will got me an interview there. Bobby got me an interview with Coach Sniffin at, um, at Ridgepoint because Bobby was there at the time. Yeah. Um, and then while we we're in town, I saw uh, the DC job at, at Booker T Post. And, um, and I said, let me, let me try and get an interview while we're here. And, and Stacy Pearson, who was the offensive coordinator at Aldi Nimitz prior to that, um, it was the new head coach. And he said, yeah, come on in for an interview and, and brought me in and, um, put me to work, you know, put me on the board and said, this is, you know, here's the offense. Show me how you defend it, you know, use your terms and everything. But, uh, you know, he put me to work, put me to task and, and having different, um, different opportunities, um, that I'd had offered to me. Um, I ended up talking with Kerry Dixon, who's, um, I, uh, I think Kerry's still at Georgia tech. Now he might be with the Baltimore Ravens. I don't, I don't remember because you know, the, those guys at that level move around a lot, but, um, Kerry Dixon and I played together at Baylor as well. And Kerry was a Booker T alum. And I said, Hey man, I've got this opportunity. And he said, I, I really suggest you take the Booker T job. And I loved the history of the school yeah. um, and, and learning about fifth ward and, and the, the Studewood area and, and having those kids. And it was such an eclectic group of kids, um, even being um, a majority minority school. Um, you know, I had not dealt with kids from a lot of different backgrounds that I got to do there and got to start learning how, how those kids work and how I can relate to them. Um, but we did a lot of good things there. You know, I was also the head, uh, soccer coach. Um, we held our first, um, soccer game on campus while I was there and, and it was, we didn't have goals. So, um, getting goals from Chavez high school, they were getting rid of their old set, got a new set. So some of the kids jumped in the truck with me and we went down and took them apart, picked them up and drove them back and, you know, painting the lines the morning of the game and having packed stands because we'd never done it before. Uh, and, and, and the things that we used to, to do with those kids um, and got to do to, to get to know them and grow with them was great. Um, I, I really enjoyed my time there. Um, and then I, I had the opportunity to, uh, to move over to Marshall High School and, and work with coach Williams. And I, I cannot say enough about James Williams. I, I just can't. Yeah. Um, you know, he, he really grew me, um, as a student of the game, the way that I am now, I think. Um, and, and I, I still call him to pick his brain from time to time, or I, I'll draw something up on a napkin and text it to him and say, what do you think? What am I missing here? You know, this is a thought I have. Um, and, and that's one of the great things about still being close to them proximity wise here in Fort Bend is, I get to see those guys a lot still, you know, yeah. and, and the love is still there. You know, I, I still get hugs from them and, and I still get text messages from them from time to time, you know, how are you doing or Hey, what's going on? And um, you know, we had a very tight knit staff uh, for the, the four years that I was there. Um, and then, you know, the opportunity to, to, to come over with, with Bobby and, and let me BT coach, let me stop you. I just want to, I want to ask a couple about yeah, that. Sure, staff, no, good. About that Marshall staff. Cause I, you know, I, I, I could not agree with you more about James Williams. I mean, he's somebody I always kind of respected from afar, you know, like since we're coaching against each other, you know, I, right. just, I just always respect him just the way he carried himself and the way his teams performed. But then when I got out of coaching, I kind of got more into broadcasting and things like that. I got to speak with him a lot more mm -hmm. in, you know, in his office or getting ready for a game, you know, getting some, some insight on the team. And I just, he blows me away. He's just the classiest, yeah. classiest person ever. And I mean, he, as far as from the media perspective, he's one of those guys that honestly just, looks you directly in the eye and means it when he says, thank you so much for covering our game. It just, it, and he's so sincere about it. He just, and he's great. 
And yeah. I mean, he's the kind of guy, I mean, obviously track team is very successful. I, I walk out to spring ball. He might be the only coach there that day. Cause everyone else is coaching track. He's coaching the whole defense by himself. <laughs> he's doing yeah. a dang good job of it. And you guys have a system and it, that was fun. The one day you and I got to meet, and you kind of got to explain the system a little bit, but mm-hmm. you know, I just, I have so much respect for him, but you know, I was talking to Sergio Gonzalez about some of the other guys. I also, I also brought up coach Lloyd Banks, you know, mm-hmm. because one of those days that I went to go visit James uh, at the field house, the track team was coming in for a track meet. And I was just blown away. It felt like I was in a college atmosphere. Just yeah. the way that they entered the field house, it looked, they're just very businesslike. And I actually, I saw Coach Banks. I stopped him and I kind of, I, I pointed that out to him. We still talked for a little bit, but can you just speak to, obviously Coach Banks has been ex- incredibly successful with the track program. Anything you want to add uh, as far as Coach Banks and your experience with him? Yeah, you know, my, um, I, I wasn't planning on coaching track when I got to Marshall. I was, it was head soccer and, and football and, um, I had soccer kids that wanted to run distance. You know, I, I wanted to encourage that in them in the off season anyways, but I had kids that wanted to run. So I, I went to, to banks and I said, Hey, look, I got kids that want to run. Who's a distance coach. So oh, we don't have one. So can, can I do it? He said, man, I don't have a stipend for you, but sure. I said, man, I don't care. I just want the kids to be able to compete. That's awesome. Um, and, and it went from, it grew from that first year being basically an assistant coach by volunteer um and and banks and and coach alex and um and and coach sweeney and uh and uh antez just really put their arms around me and said hey you're you're as much a part of this coaching staff as the rest of us you yeah. know and and um and that really that made me feel good you know so from that first year taking those guys that were just soccer guys running distance to by the time i left after four years we had a we had a real distance crew yeah. You know, and, and, um, it, it was, it was a blast and it was a ride that it was like, hang on and, and don't let go. Yeah. Um, and, and now as a head track coach, I've really tried to take a lot of the things that we did at Marshall and implement those with, with small tweaks to make them mine, um, at, at Clements. And, and, and there are a lot of times that as I'm doing something with the Clements track team, I'll think what would banks do or how would banks handle this? Yeah. There are times that I'll call or text him and go, Hey man, I got a question. I don't remember, or I wasn't sure. How did you do this? Um, and I always, you know, and coaches in the football world, especially really want to talk about their tree and, and who they learn from. And, and, and I'm proud at least track wise to say, I, I come out of the Lloyd banks tree Yeah, and, and I want to make sure that what we do reflects well on him because that's the guy who I really learned from when it comes to track. You know, and and for us to go um, that that first year, uh, we went to A and M for the indoor meet, and the Clemens kids had never done that before. And they went, Coach, we don't go to big meets. And I said, Why not? Let's go. Um, and you know, to have the Marshall coaches in the stands as well, hooping and hollering and cheering for my kids, just just made me feel great. You know. Yeah. So um, Banks is a is a top notch guy. Um, he's uh, an incredible. Uh, he connects with the kids incredibly well yeah. um, and, and creates relationships with them and, and, and takes care of them in, in ways that are just absolutely amazing. And not a lot of coaches do, you know, and, and it has paid off for him and, and, and those rings and those championships and those things, those are just icing on the cake. You know, um, yeah. those, those are a result of what he pours into those kids himself. When I asked Sergio about Coach Banks, he also he brought up a guy you named Coach Alex, and I mm-hmm. he called him Coach Chop. I didn't I did not know that that was his nickname, but Coach Chop, yeah, not Rodney Alex. You know, I've, I've visited him a couple of times too, and he's just great, man. Just such a great personality, and I 
he just had, you know, I, we'd always be talking about like the rings that they were going to get, you know, from, from the ring rep after winning the championships and everything. And just so what can you share? Cause he, he, he Sergio basically, that's his right-hand man there for, for yeah. Banks. So Yeah. So, so, uh, Banks finally gave Chop the the title of director of operations for track. Okay, and you, you don't hear that at a high school level, yeah. you know. Um, but uh, I was having a conversation with some guys the other day. Sometimes, as a head coach, you're too busy to deal with certain things, or you forget to deal with certain things, and you need to have a right hand man that's your number two that's able to remind you or pick up the slack and take care of those things, or yeah. or knows that you're not going to do them and will take it and run with it. And, and chop does that, you know, that's, and, and he, he and banks have been together since high school, you know, both Jack Gates alum. Yeah. Um, and, and so they're, they've known each other so long and so well that chop just knows where his role is to take care of things on the team that, um, that, that banks is not going to for one reason or another. And, sure. and, and chop does a fantastic job of doing that. Uh, and taking care of a lot of the ancillary things around a team that really does make him the operations guy, Yeah, you know? Um, so it, it's, he's a great dude, great family. And, and that's one of the things that I will say about being around the Marshall staff and now the Clements staff. Coach Steele really created a family atmosphere around our college team. Um, uh, Clayvon Chason, who's playing in the NFL now, I played with his dad and, and I remember when, he was a baby and Kelvin would bring him out to practice. You know, um, I remember coach Steele's kids running around at practice and, and some of the other coaches. And I again was exposed to that at, with the Marshall staff, you know, and, and dudes would bring their kids in sometimes and that's fine. And, and James fostered that and Bobby fosters that with us. And that's when, when it's my turn, that's what I want to have, yeah. you know? And, and, and so, we, we've we've fostered that family atmosphere and 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 even for the the spouses at games you know to sit together and, and the kids sit together and um and just to have that and, and we we really had that at marshall whether it was track or, or soccer or, or football you know um the family atmosphere was there and that, that was really important you know before we get to the clemens chapter which i want to talk about extensively there's sure. if, if you humor me there's one more guy i got to ask about because i just had so much respect for him we were kind of competitors the offensive coordinator og fagan you know we, we, he and i were kind of going head to head but we had such a great relationship together <laughs> off the field especially when you know, after i left coaching i was broadcasting he's always a guy we would have long talks in the press box or really you know we'd text or call from time to time and I just love the way that he runs an offense. I just, I just loved it when I was broadcasting some of their big playoff games, I could see kind of what he's setting up, but he always knew when to unveil that special trick play. And he just, he, hmm. he was the best at it. And he, and thankfully, you know, he, he got his opportunity. Now like you're saying, he got his shot at size Springs and I'm just so excited, you know, for what they're doing out there, but can you just, just speak to coach Fagan and your experience with him at Marshall? Yeah. So, you know, you would think that a guy that's the OC and, and me working with defense and special teams would not spend a lot of time together, but he was my assistant coach for tra uh, soccer, excuse me. Mm. And, and so during football season, we wouldn't get to spend a lot of time together, but during soccer season, we got to spend a tremendous amount of time together. And I, I he and I grew a relationship. I, I, I he's such a great dude. Um, number one, OG's a great person. He, he really is. And there are times where he and I grew a relationship to where we could sit down and have genuine hard conversations um, whether it be about, um, how we interact with the kids or race relations or, yeah. you know, whatever, 
um, you know, experiences that he had at the college level and, and doing an internship with the Giants. Um, and, and to hear his side of things and, and the way that he explained things, but genuinely to be able to sit down and have good conversations. Um, you know, OG is such a great person. Um, and his, his, his family is absolutely wonderful. And, and his family and our family are, are you know, get along very well. Um, and as you get older with your kids, you'll, you'll go, man, we need to get the kids together. And then, you know, you six months later, man, we really need to, you know, <laughs> we need to get the kids together for sure. Right. But, um, you know, he's, he's a great guy football wise. He's incredibly smart. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you run into, you run into dudes that do X's and O's and then you run into that next level X's and O's guy. And you, you see he's playing chess, not checkers when yes, he's, yes, you know, yes, when yes. he's involved in a game and involved in a game plan. Um, and so uh, I'm so happy for him and the opportunity that he's got now over at, at Cy Springs and the things that he's doing with that program. Absolutely. And now, you know, we're getting to the Clements portion. You know, you, you join your old, your former college teammate. And then for listeners who don't know, like I've known Bobby Darnell for a long time because I coached at Clements and Bobby was there. So we were together there and then we were together at Ridgepoint. Bobby Darnell on the coach sniffing episode, he, he, he gave so much credit to Bobby Darnell, you know, and all the coaches, but really Bobby was so pivotal in every, all the success that happened at Ridgepoint. And now this just monumental turnaround um, at Clements, you know, one of the things I thought was interesting, you talked about the last time um, the last playoff team at Clements on your Twitter bio, I was looking at it was 2007, correct. Mm-hmm. And that I, if I'm not mistaken. That's, that was a 13 and one year. Uh, I think so. And Derek Carr was the quarterback. That's correct. And that, that yeah. was my first year of coaching. And so it's kind of unusual, right? For like your last playoff berth to be such a long run into the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And it was followed by a period of decline, you know, it just, it just, things had changed, uh, you know, at the program. And, and, and there was, there was some really, really lean years. I'm sure there was, I think a couple of 10 years, maybe sprinkled throughout, yeah. you know, I, and I remember meeting with you when, when you when you came in there and you, mm-hmm. you were learning the three four defense, which what Bobby wanted to run, kind of the Ridge Point style. And you know, we met, went with myself and Coach Dober and Coach Hammond mm-hmm. one night. And you just, I just, I loved your optimism, you know. And and you, it's it's kind of like what Coach Gonzalez described. Like you don't care, you didn't care what the records were coming in. You you weren't gonna allow it to happen. And even that first year, which was a one and nine season, mm-hmm. as I watched you and observed every. You, you're only talking about the positives, you know, you're, 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 you're charting, you know, the yards given up or the points given up and you're showing the progress. And I just, I was blown away by that. And I was so impressed by that, Jason, you know, so can you, can you just talk, describe to us, because I've followed this Clemens team really closely. Bobby Darnell is a good friend of mine. The offensive coordinator, Derek Ruthart was the best man in my <laughs> wedding yourself. You know, so I try to remain neutral when I broadcast games. I think I do a pretty good job of it, but I think everyone knows I've, I've got a special place in my heart for the Clemens Rangers. So just, I watch you guys closely. So I, I would just love to hear you describe that first year that you got to Clemens and it was the one nine season. Just describe to us listeners kind of everything. Just describe it for us. What, what, what were you intake? What was your thought process throughout that season? Sure. So, you know, the, that was my first season coming off of three deep runs at Marshall. Yes. Um, um, two years going back to back to the regional finals and, and losing. And then, um, and both of those by, by slim margins and then losing to Alito in the state game. Um, and the, the great opportunity was to go play at AT&T and coming in and going one and nine, it's, it's a change of gears. 
you know. Um, but when what I remember Bobby saying to me when he when he wanted to bring me on is he said, "You've been to places that nobody else on the staff except for him had been, as far as how deep in the playoffs games that we played." And he said, you know how we've got to move to get there. Come help me make these changes and come be a teammate with me again. And, and so that to me is almost a challenge. You know, it's, it's, you're not going to walk into a program and then overnight, boom, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not Art Bryles. I'm not, you know, um, one of those guys that's going to be able to, to, sure. you know, go in and do something like that. I'm just, I'm just me, you know, with, with my limited knowledge and, and what I had been armed with to that point in my career. Um, and, and yeah, like you said, coming in and learning the, the, the three, four defense was new to me. We, we'd ran it when I was at uh, Waco high, but I had been so removed from that first year uh, or second year coaching at that point that it wasn't something fresh on me anymore, sure, sure. you know? Um, but, but yeah, I knew what the end goal was. I knew the end goal wasn't one and nine. I knew the end goal was, we want to produce a winning team. Um, and, and to me, winning is not just the X's and the O's. And that's something that Coach Steele taught me at Baylor. You know, I think our best season at Baylor, we had three or four wins. But there are a lot of other things that go on around the team that Coach Steele had done for us for the program that put us in a really good spot, I think. Um, and, and it's the same thing. It's, it's creating a standard and holding the kids to that standard. And it's not just setting the standard out there and saying, this is where I want you to be. It's showing them that they can meet the standard, showing them how to get there. And then once you get that going and taste a little bit of success, oh, those older guys, they like that. And they're not going to let the younger guys let them down and keep them from getting that. So, you know, once we showed the guys what we wanted, set the standard and held it, it started, the machine starts running itself. You know, and, and you have less to do on course corrections at that point than you did on the front end. Um, but it, it's definitely been a change of culture from that first year to, to now going into my fourth season coming up. You know, I, I like there's an old Bobby Bowden quote, and I'm sure I'm going to butcher it, but it was something along the lines of when you're rebuilding a program, first you're going to lose big. That was probably, you know, your first year. Then you're going to lose close. And that mm -hmm. was probably that second year at four and six. And I remember watching these games and talking to my good friend, Derek Ruthart, and just saying, I know you're going to get Kentner this year. I know you're going to get Austin this year. And I look back at these scores and you lost 20 to 14 to Kentner and 33 to 32 to Austin. And it's just, you were losing close now. Yeah. Describe to me year two, what was different? Uh, so year two for me, you know, we were four and six, three of those losses were by seven or less points. Yeah. Um, and, and, I think part of the difference was um, some of the things that we did defensively. Um, and, and I have to give, have to give kudos to Bobby for multiple things, but one of the things for sure, you know, Bobby said, I want to run a three, four defense, but that's all he said. So he, he really gave me the opportunity to make adjustments to the secondary of the first year. Yeah. Yeah. And then the second year sprinkle in some things that were a little different. We started bringing in a little bit of the four, two, five from Marshall, uh, the the old TCU four two five, and and the kids really got comfortable to the point where they could go odd or even, and and it opened up a whole new playbook to them, and that was kind of exciting. And uh, I think because of that, there was a little bit more buy in from the kids, you know, and they thought, oh, this is this is a little bit more fun, and this is really cool. We could do, oh, we can do some other stuff, and oh, we do understand 
why we're doing these things and how they're helpful to us in the program. But just, you know, we, we really didn't have a lot of turnover, but for one position uh, on the D line from first year to second year. So the defensive staff still being together and, and being pretty cohesive um, and, and the guy that we, we, we lost an old hat that was a great coach, but we, we brought in a, a great coach to replace him um, to, to be able to have that connection um, and, and continuity on the defensive staff as well, I think was important, you know, and, and it showed those kids, Hey man, we're here and we're here with you. Let's go to work. Uh, and like you said, it you know, the, the outworking, it comes to um, you know, our, our defensive staff is a hardworking staff you know, and, and not to take away from our offensive staff. I just, I don't spend the time with them. Like I do my defensive guys, mm-hmm. my, my defensive coaches are hardworking dudes, you know, and they, they, they get done what I ask them to do, you know, Hey, we need this done go. And, and it gets done. So I think a lot of the buy-in on the coaching staff, the kids saw that too. And it really en- encouraged them a lot. Looking back at the end of the season, my first year at Marshall, we were four and six, lost three games by one score. So that season and then propelling into three great seasons really paralleled to me, man. Okay. We had a four and six season and then we turn right back around the next year and Hey, look, we're in the playoffs and better than 500 in a long time, you know, and, and it's, it's continued culture change, continued raising the bar. You know, the first year we set the bar second year, we raised the bar some. So this is, this is where we want to take you guys. You can get there, get on board with us. And, you know, every program has the kids that don't want to get on board. Those kids go away, but whether of their own or, or other reasons, but the kids that stayed, the kids that stuck around, the kids that worked their tails off made that change happen. So then after, after that transitional season from one and nine, your first year to four and six in 2020, Mm-hmm. You, you jump out to a four and start to start the 2021 season. And then you drop a game to Ridgepoint, but a competitive, really look, you know, a fairly competitive game. So no shame in that. This is the game I want to talk about. Cause another prediction that I'd made a couple of years, I, I kept telling Derek, I think you're going to get Elkins this year. I tell Bobby, I think you're going to get Elkins. <laughs> and you know, never quite would happen that way, but that's a big win. You know, it, that's a big it, one. That's a big yeah. rivalry game. And, and there is a kind of a mental block, I think perhaps, you know, with, you know, with, with a team that, that's had your number for a long time. So can you, mm-hmm. A 27 to 25 victory over your fierce rival after so many years of falling to them. What, what was that game like? You know, the, the, uh, my second year there at Clemens, um, we were ahead of Elkins at halftime mm-hmm. by a couple of scores, you know, and, and they made adjustments at halftime that we didn't that uh, allowed them to take the win. And that really hurt. Mm. Um. So, you know, to, to, to pick a rival, man, if we're going to pick one school that's really that we consider our rival, it's Elkins. And we drilled that into the kids over and over and over again for a year, you know, and, and the kids really took it personally. They, they really did. And so they knew that there was big focus on that game. There was big focus leading up to that game. You know, we're taking opponents week by week, but we knew what we wanted. We, we knew we wanted that, that week six game. And that that was who we were going up against. And man, it was it was a hard fought game. I've got to give all credit to their coaches um, for for coaching a, a great game and, and doing a great job. And, you know, fortunately, we were able to eke out there at the end. Um, but but man, that really that gave us a sigh of relief. OK, you know, we, we finally got that dub against yeah. that team. What's next? 
who, who are we going after next? And it's not, you know, who are we going to play next? It's man, let's go eat. Yeah. And, and it really gave the kids the opportunity to go, okay, let's set our sights a little bit higher uh, and, and to go play some of those other teams at the level that we did. Coach, I love that story because I can relate. You know, you said the year before there were some adjustments made that you just you couldn't catch it in the game and make the proper adjustments, and you mm -hmm. sued on that. Exact same thing happened to me against Stratford when I was at Ridgepoint. There was just a particular way that we were fitting up the ISO that I had taught. I had taught my guys, and we couldn't catch where it was hurting us and fix it in game that particular year. Went mm -hmm. back on the film, saw exactly what the problem was. But the thing that broke my heart was we're getting gashed, but it's because my kids are doing exactly what I coached them to do. <laughs> yeah. They're so dang coachable and they believe in me so much. <laughs> I let them right off a cliff and we lost that yeah. game. And so that I took that personal, just like you did. And I, I stewed on, I was so upset. And I just, I, we worked on Stratford a lot mm -hmm. in the summer. <laughs> you know, and like we were just ready and we came out the next year and we really played a great defensive game. So I can totally relate to that coach, man. I, I feel I feel what you're saying there. And I just, I respect that about you, that, that you took that personally as a challenge and you, you rose to the challenge the next year, but this is, this is where I joined back into the fray. You know, I've been doing broadcasting in Aldine. I'm, I'm the voice of Aldine ISD. So I typically do, do those games all last season. I didn't get to do a whole lot of yours, but I was able to come for George ranch mm -hmm. and man, that was a game. And I'll let you kind of set the stage a little bit, but basically, you know, the, the playoffs are on the line here, you know, essentially it's a must win. So can, can you kind of describe what, yourself and coach Darnell and everyone is telling the team leading into that George ranch game. Yeah. You know, I, I think we had a little bit of inside, um, uh, Jason Thompson, my safeties coach, uh, had coached at George ranch, knew a lot of those kids, but you know, in, in this day and age with as close as our kids are proximity wise to other schools and social media, a lot of our kids, know kids from other schools, you know? Um, and, and so our, our kids knew who their guys were going into the game. You know um, we had a great game plan put together and um, you know, when it comes to planning, I'm not the, 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 hen, the, the, the rooster rules kind of guy. Um, I, we game plan by committee defensively, you know, and, and put the plan together until we all decide this is where we're good um, and, and I have a great defensive staff that, that does uh, a heck of a job helping me out with that, um, especially Todd Francis, who is always the flip to my coin. Um, yeah. when, when, you know, I, Francis will go, well, what about this instead? Or what about this? And it really makes me think. And, and I know he's definitely helped grow me into a better coach. Um, you Love know, it. defensively, we had a great game plan, I think. And, and we knew what they were going to do. We, we, we had them in our sights. But the kids knew what was on the line. You know, we didn't have to push to them, hey, this is do or die. They knew what they had to get done, you know. And, and I think after the first couple of series going out there and smacking George Ranch in the mouth, that our kids went, oh, we can do this, you, you know. The, and that's been part of the shifting um, thought process and environment around the team, you know, um, to be able to look at an opponent and – and, you know, with Elkins, not look at the name on, on the jersey, mm -hmm. you know, just look at that dude across from you and say, I'm going to whip your tail playing and play out, um, doing my job. And, and the kids have gotten focused in more on that and less on, oh, it's Elkins, oh, it's Ridgepoint, oh, it's George Ranch, these, these programs that are well coached and that are, are, are you know, historically very successful. Uh, and so when you when you shift that focus just a little bit and the kids knew what was on the line, I mean, we, we gave them the game plan and, and it was by no means perfect. And I don't ever think it is, but it was good enough for them to get the job done.
Man, coach, I, I love that story about Coach Francis. And again, it kind of hits me with a little bit of nostalgia. You know, when I was a defensive coordinator and Jimmy Hammond was my secondary coach up in the mm-hmm. box in my ear, it was the exact same thing. He was the yin to my yang, you know? I mean, we just yep. we worked so well together. And Coach Francis is awesome too. And, and like you, he has a soccer background. I, that's one thing I love about him is on Twitter or Facebook, you know, when, when he gets a big soccer win, he it, it's like he just won the district championship, you know, in the Super Bowl. I mean, the Super Bowl, he yeah. celebrates it. And it's yeah. important. I, I know those kids feel that, how much he cares. Yeah. Um, so, so happy yeah. to hear that. But, you know, so I'm a broadcaster now. And I mean, I, I know football to a pretty good extent, having coached for 11 years. And, but I don't get to know these kids in depth like, like y'all get to. I go, I go maybe do one or two games for a team per year. But every, so every now and then, it's not, it doesn't happen all the time, but every now and then certain players just kind of catch my eye. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like there's like a light shining off of them. Like they're just radiating in the game. I just, I just like the way that they're communicating with teammates and calling out the signals and, and flying around and celebrating after a tackle. That guy for y'all was Ferris or five. Mm-hmm. I just, I just kept calling that name. And I was just like, man, I, I like this kid. I like this kid. And, and as I continued to watch the game, there was a pivotal moment. Um, another thing I didn't know before that game is exactly how good Patrick Smith was. <laughs> good Lord. <laughs> On the offensive side too. I've never seen somebody go get the ball. Like, yeah. And, 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 you know, we had a lot of conversation at the beginning of the year and, and throughout the summer. Pat's going to have to be a two-way guy. Yeah. And, and we're going to say, Pat, this is the expectation. I want to see you rise to it. And boy, howdy, did he ever. Yes, he did. Um, and I'm, I'm very excited for him and and uh, going up to North Texas to play uh, for coach and to play for Phil Bennett. And, and they're getting a great kid over there. Absolutely. But, you know, as good of a game plan as you had, and as well as Pat, Pat and Gunner and all them are playing on the offense side of the ball and Coach Ruthart, you know, scheming up stuff, it was still a touch and go game. You mm-hmm. ended up winning 28 to 13, but really, you know, the game felt very, very close, you know, kind of pulled away a little bit later. But um, there was a moment where Pat, I think it was near the end of the half. I think it was near the it, end of the half. It was the gets, end of the first half. Yeah. The end of the first half, he gets a pick six. But then, you know, the broadcaster may say, oh, there's a flag back there. And sure enough, it gets called back by penalty. And I, it, I, it was Ferris or Fi, you know, that, it that was. threw a block in the back. And I, I just, I, one thing that I do that's different than most broadcasts, I watch the sideline a lot. I watch the head coach. I watch what's going on. I was watching. I want to see how does, how's Bobby Darnell going to handle this situation? You just had, you had a huge momentum swing heading into the half because I could have changed mm-hmm. everything. And I watched Ferris hustle off the field and I watched Bobby just nose to nose with him. I, of course, I couldn't know what he said, but I mean, he's, he's laying into him. <laughs> it's like those things you see on Twitter where you'll see like Nick Saban chewing somebody out or a coach chewing out, you know, their players, but the the player is looking coach Darnell right in the eyes, Mm -hmm. right in the eyes, nodding his head. Yes, sir. I'm going to get it done. And then the the beautiful thing was as soon as Bobby was done chewing his butt, he turned around and he sprinted into the locker room. And I said, Oh my God, they are going to win this game. I knew right then and there coach Bobby Darnell, Jason Haddock, Derek Ruthar, Todd Francis, Garrett Oakley, you know, all those guys, they got them. They got these kids eating out of their hand. And I said, those losses that used to be, we lose by two, we lose by three. We're so close. We're so close. They're over. They're going to mm-hmm. win this game. So can you just speak to that Ferris or Fi and the, the, the impact he has on your team or, or you know, sure. anything about and, that? And to this day, he still swears he hit the guy uh, in the side. <laughs> the and I think he's going to go to his grave that, that that's the story that he tells. Right. Um, uh, Ferris is a great kid. Ferris is, um, Ferris had somebody ahead of him, Matt McGinnis. Yeah. Um, Matt, Matt just graduated this year, um, was my starting well linebacker and, and was a year ahead of Ferris. Um, and, and they very much paralleled each other, both having to start their sophomore year because of an injury and then just going from there and increasing. And 
you know, Ferris came in his sophomore year and about uh, four games in and had to start and, and learn very quickly. You know, speed of the game is a little different than it was on JV or, or a freshman team there in freshman year. But um, Ferris is a goofy guy and, and his leadership style is a little bit different. And, and I like watching him because he'll be goofy and he'll, and he'll laugh and kiki around a little bit, but he'll lock in and you can see this, the switch flip. Yeah. Um, and, and he asks the right questions. He's very much a student of the game. If, if Ferris could play safety, he'd know what to do because right. he understands what's going on around him holistically with the defense. Um, he, he spends a ton of time watching film um, and studying what we're doing and studying the scouting reports every week. Um, during the offseason, Ferris is a kid that is, is waiting on us to open the field house in the morning and get a morning lift in um, and, and, and consistent about that. So, uh, you know, Ferris is a, a smart young man that's going to make an impact at some program at the next level. But for us, you know, it, it's, it's growing in leadership and growing in, um, you know, being that guy on the field. And, and that's the big expectation for him this year is, dude, you're the senior middle linebacker. You're the captain of the defense. Get it done. You know, put your defense together and get to work. And, and, and I have to put that on him. Yeah, they're my defense to a degree, but I can't put the pads on and go play anymore. Ferris, this is your defense. You know, what are you going to do with them? And if things go wrong, how are you going to handle it? And giving, you know, giving the kids at that age just enough responsibility that that they learn and grow from it, I think is important. And I think is part of the change that we've seen in the team in the last few years. Um, but, you know, Ferris is, Ferris is a great young man, um, was number two on the team in tackles, uh, just under 10 per game average this year. Um, didn't miss a game deep snapped for us a little bit. Um, but, but is a kid that, you know, is going to come downhill and smack you in the hole, um, on a run play and a guy that I I trust to go cover, uh, when it, when it comes to pass plays, you know, extremely strong. He's number two in the program all time with a squad of 520 pounds. Wow. Um, and, and Ferris is, like all of our kids, pretty much a, a dual sport athlete. He throws shot and disc for me, wow. but he'd get done with that workout and come over and go, all right, let me get the runner's workout in. Not the fastest dude out there, but he's putting in the extra work to get better. And, and he's a kid that sees this is what's down the road and, and what I need to do to get there. For any players that listen to this, just everything we've just talked about that's that's what you want to model yourself after i mean like i said now that i broadcast and i'm watching these sidelines i see so many times when in that same situation work you 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 do a big penalty to cost the team so many kids are going to come off head hanging they're going to snap their helmet off maybe throw their helmet i've seen kids throw their helmet into the bench coach comes talk to you you don't look him in the eye you hang your head as soon as he's done you just sulk back to the bench that's not, that's not what you want to do to be a winner. You know, what Ferris, the way that Ferris Rafai handled that tough situation, he came right back and helped lead you to victory. That's the way, you know, that it should be done. But speaking about some of the, some of the negative things I see in sports now that I've, I've been able to remove myself from coaching and I can watch as a broadcaster, I'm in the stands. I hear some of the things that I, that parents are saying at a basketball game, especially, mm-hmm. and I can hear it more than a football game, but you know, some of those things, I know you probably deal with some parent issues from time to time. I understand parents love their kids. So the, the root of the misbehavior is in love, but it's still bringing negativity into the program. I, in my humble opinion, 
it's not giving their child the best athletic experience. So, you know, I hope that parents listen to this podcast too. That's another reason I do this. I want them to see how professional our coaches are. I really mm -hmm. want them to see that. So if you were to give advice to a parent on, yes, we know you love your kid and you're going to be upset if they're not playing or this, that, and the other, but what, what advice would you give a parent to allow their kid to have the best possible athletic experience? Um, I, you know, I think the biggie is just to let them play, you know, yeah. all in all, let's be honest. It's a game. You know, it's, it's not the end of the world. It's not, you know, playing for Armageddon to happen or not, you know, it, it's a game, you know, and, and yeah, it's Texas, it's Friday night lights and, and there is nothing like it anywhere else. Um, but, but all in all, it's a game and on all you can do is, is just be supportive of your kid and, and tell them, Hey, I'm proud of you. Um, and, and, and if, whether there's something good that happened or something bad that happened and, and, you know, Hey, we'll work on this, you know, and you know, not, I can't believe you did this, this so horribly. Hey, you know what? We'll work on this and it'll, yeah. it will be better next time, Yeah. you know, but I'm proud of your effort. Just, we've got to, we, we got to love on and encourage these kids, you know, um, I, I think just putting a lot of interest, you know, at, at, for those that don't know, Clements is Fort Bend in general is a very international, um, um, district. We, we have, between the parents and kids speak over a hundred different uh, languages and dialects in Fort Bend ISD. Yeah. Um, and Clements especially is a very international campus. And we have a lot of kids that play that have immigrated here and did not grow up around American football and, and their parents don't know a whole lot of what's going on. Um, and, and you mentioned very early on this, this afternoon, uh, we had a, we had a, a girl kicker. Um, Allison yeah, yeah. Wong was our, yeah. was our kicker this year. Um, and she came from uh, the girls soccer team and and went through spring with us her junior year and then came out and won the starting spot as the extra point kicker for for the varsity this year and my wife would often sit near allison's parents and and allison's mom was like you know i, I don't know the game but i know when my daughter does something well and, and i can cheer for her then you know um ferris has told me to speak of ferris you know his his parents don't know the game very well just because they weren't around it didn't grow up with it mm -hmm. but Ferris's mom will sit there and listen to him talk about things he did during the game and just be there and be supportive of him, wow. you know, and that's extremely important. Um, you know, if, if parents have questions of the coach or want to talk to a coach about something, let's do it behind closed doors. Don't do it in front of the kid, yeah. you know, yeah. um, you know, and, and, and let's go behind closed doors and talk and, and communicate in a way that's going to be positive and everybody understands what's going on so that when we are in front of the kids again, we're both on the same page, you know, and, and uh, I think that's really what, what ultimately comes down to is remembering it's got to be about the kids. It's not about um, the, the sports career you had when you were a kid that you're trying to live vicariously now, or, or you, you know, every parent thinks their kid is the smartest, best thing since slash bread. Yeah. And I get that as a parent, you know, mm -hmm. um, my, my kids are, my kids are geniuses as far as I know, but, <laughs> um, but uh ultimately it's, it's about the kid, you know, what's best for that kid, you know, and, and just let them play. And if they want to do multiple sports, let them do multiple sports. You know, the, the, the studies have shown that most kids at the, most athletes at the professional level were multi-sport athletes in high school, you know, let them try something different because some of these sports, yeah, you can go play rec league basketball as an adult, but you can't go play rec league football. You know, you, you know, running, going and running rec league track is not quite the thing that you go do as, you know, a 30 year old, 
Um, so, so let the kids experience, let them grow in those ways, but just be there and be supportive for that kid. I love that coach. And again, man, it's just, you and I feel like we have so much in common. Like that story you bring up about Ferris's mom, that was my mom. You know, I don't know if you know this about me, but I, my mom's Japanese. I was born in Tokyo. You know, my dad was in the military and that's how he's mm-hmm. ended up in Japan. So I was born there. So she didn't grow up with American football, but I can tell you for a a decade between my sports and then my brother's sports, who was 10 years younger. He was a, a first team all district lineman from Travis. She was at every single game after working a long day as a general manager yeah. travel agency. She, a Japanese travel agency, she went to the games and she didn't really know, but you know what? It's, it's just like you described whenever we're on defense, she's screaming, get him, get him, get him, <laughs> you know, or whenever we had the ball, it's go tigers or go bulldogs, you know? And so yeah, that that's, that's beautiful. Sure. That's beautiful. And when I came home, never once did she have any kind of commentary on any kind of game or anything. Just trust the coach. <laughs> Listen to what yeah. the coach says, Jimmy and Ryan, you know, so I just think that's awesome. And going back to Allison Wong, I remember, I know we want to move towards the point to where we, we're not, we don't have to like classify anymore that it's a girl kicker, right? We're going to mm-hmm. move to that point to where she's just a kicker. And she felt that way to me. And I remember there was one particular game and I don't remember if it was after a kickoff or an extra point or something, but one of their players said something to her immediately i saw her spin around ponytail on the back it spins around she points to him points to the ref and the flag goes flying up yep so th- that kid said something to her she heard it and she wasn't going to just take it she immediately spun around and mm-hmm. let him gave him the business and the referee caught it all and there's a penalty you know do you, do you remember that player I, I do i do um you know she was so much fun to to be around during the season and, and during the year and coach and yeah you know very very early on, if she would – bad snap is not in her control. Bad hold is not in her control. And, and very early on, she had to learn things are going to happen in this game that I have no control over, but I've got to still keep doing. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, we got to watch her grow up a little bit in that respect. And I think that that attitude – and she's as tough as nails – Yes, um, were great for her in soccer. She, she was uh, back-to-back defensive MVP for the district. Yeah. Um, and we're really proud of her for doing that, you know, um, and, uh, you know, it, it's, it was just great being around her. It really was. Yeah. Um, and we, we, we still have, um, uh, a female on the team, um, and, uh, uh, Elma Parcini, awesome. and she's an offensive lineman and okay, yeah. I, I, she played JV this year. And I remember coach Ruth Art and I were picking up the field after the game. Mm-hmm. And one of the other teams that the kid came out to me playing D line, he came up to me and said, coach she hits really hard. Now, yeah, she does, you know, but he was very complimentary of her. And and I think after a play or two, he learned he didn't need to take off of of her that she was going to go get him. Yeah. She works her tail off in the weight room, lifts extremely hard and she's fun to be around, you know? So those ladies have been great additions to the team for sure. Well, it's been, it's been fun talking about your coaching, you know, history and there's many chapters yet to be written. Hopefully some at Clements still want, but I know you, you, you have aspirations to take over a program of your own, which I can't wait for that as well. So just really enjoy talking about the coaching aspect, coach. It's been great that this, this was a storybook season at Clements. And I think sometimes, you know, we think about the, the 16 and 0 season and the state championships, but I'm here to tell you, and, and several coaches have echoed this on this podcast, the one in nine to the four and six to the seven win to me, that's the most impressive coaching. When you take something from 0-10, 1-9, 2-8, and, and you make the playoffs, like that leap right there is the hardest thing to do in coaching. Sure. You guys did it. Y'all, y'all sure. did it. So congratulations to you for sure. Let's Thank talk you. a little bit of fun here, just a little more to know about you. A couple of brushes of fame. You, you played in college against Ricky Williams. <laughs> you mm-hmm. can't, 
can't get much better than that. Well, wait, except in high school, you played against the Ladanian Tomlinson. So I think you uh, might've one up it just a little I, bit there. I, I did. I, I remember, you know, he was fast in football. Don't get me wrong, but you know, I ran against him in the 200 and I remember coming out of the blocks of the district meet and looking up and I swear he was done and around the corner already. I mean, it's like, where did this guy go? <laughs> you know, I mean, he was just out of sight fast. A couple guys that you played with in college that went to the NFL, uh, Reggie Newhouse and Gary Baxter. Definitely, I remember, I recall those names. I know Baxter was a DB, I believe. Uh, John Garrett, Baltimore. Mm-hmm. Yep. Colin Allred, Greg Greg Germain, uh, Daniel Sepulveda. Definitely remember that name. He was a two-time, I looked it up, two-time Ray Guy Award winner. Yep. Best yep. butter in the country. Yeah. So, yeah. And and his his older brother, uh, Daniel, was two years behind Steven. Steven was a year behind me in, in, in school. Um, and, and Steven played linebacker. It was funny. You know, they, they, the, the freshmen don't typically get things that are sized for them. So I remember, um, Steven's Jersey played linebacker with me. Um, it took, it, it was like putting on a blast shirt for a powerlifting meet. It took two or three of us to get him in into his Jersey and then out of it to get the shoulder pads off during games. But he ended up earning a spot, uh, uh, pretty quickly. And so by his sophomore year, he had a Jersey that fit. <laughs> That's awesome. Then you also played, uh, Kari Long and then this name, Ethan Kelly. Definitely mm-hmm. rung the bell because I remember he. I just remember following him as a couple years behind, but he went to Kempner in Fort Bend. So I'm I'm just curious, what was Ethan Kelly like? Uh, Ethan played D line with us. He was a great guy. He's always a lot of fun, always smiling, yeah. um, and uh, and he's down in Central America coaching. The last I heard. Wow. So That's yeah, awesome. yeah, very cool. And then and then your coaching career, you coached Andrew Billings, who went on to Baylor. Uh, when while you're at Waco High, he went on to mm-hmm. Baylor, and now he's a defensive tackle for the Raiders. So yeah. What was that like? Did you did you always know? You know, did you see NFL in the future? Or? So, so we knew we knew he was special. Um, you know, he uh, he's one of the very few people powerlifting wise in the state who have ever been part of the one ton club, um, and he achieved that uh, his first time as a junior and then again as a senior. Um, and and he when he's lifting, there was such a disparity between him and the next guy, even though they were in a group together adding and removing weights to get him yeah. the weights he needed. They, they'd be a whole set behind everybody else. Yeah. We just knew they were, they were just lifting at their pace to, and they'd catch up. Right. Um, but you know, great young man, always smiling. It was um, great to have him go to Baylor and, and see awesome things that he did for our bears. And then to um, other than taking the COVID year off um, from the NFL, he's, he's done really well for himself at the next level. And again, for players or parents listening, when I talk to these coaches that have had the pleasure and honor of coaching someone that made it to the NFL, 99.999% of times when I ask them, what was that kid like? They say he was the best, not only was the best player, he was the best person in the program. Mm-hmm. You know, yes, yeah, sometimes uh, lower character, a person of character issue can will make it through on, on sheer talent, but it's rare. You know, the ones that make it have a great head on their shoulders, are great people. And so just always keep that in mind. Just just do things the right way for sure to achieve your dreams. Okay, favorite teams-wise. You said you pull for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Your great-grandparents immigrated from Italy, and they uh-huh. settled in Pittsburgh, so you've always pulled for them. I've got my Troy Polamalu uh, Steelers jersey on in your honor today, Coach. So just Thank you you. Want to speak to that a little bit. Yeah, so um, uh, my dad was a big Cowboys fan growing up when, when Tom Landry was the coach and, and back when they were, you know, America's team the way they were in the 80s. But – but we, we always pulled for the Steelers, and it's funny because um, Walter Abercrombie, who played for Pittsburgh, is the executive director of the Letterman's Club, the B Association at Baylor. And, and I have cards of his from when he was playing when I was a little kid. And, and I brought him up to him one day, and he was like, oh, man, I can't believe seeing some of those old teammates of his 
you know, um, and the, the sports atmosphere in Pittsburgh, it's Pittsburgh, such a great city um, and, and so supportive of, of the, the Steelers and, and the Pirates and the Pens and, yeah. and just the great programs that they have there. Um, and so, yeah, so just kind of always grew up with uh, watching the black and yellow and, and, and rooting for them. You said you also root for the Texans. So you have, you have you're drinking yep. the Texans Kool-Aid now. Are you excited about Co- uh, Nick Casario and the kind of direction he's starting to take it or? Yeah. You know, anytime, anytime you've got a, a change in, in program and, and kind of watch what they, what they do over the next few years. And, and, you know, it's, it's a lesson for, for coaches like me too. You know, what, what, what are they doing? That's not working. What are they doing that is working? And, and, you know, we're fortunate as coaches to be in circles that we can find out some of that information where just a normal everyday fan may not be able to. Um, but it's it's fun to watch. And, you know, hey, they're local. So it's fun to get to go to games. Absolutely. Uh, and, and be around that atmosphere and and see those things happen. So. All right. Now we're about to put you on the hot seat, coach. We've, it's been all pleasantries, but now we're about to get to the, <laughs> the tough part. Everybody's favorite portion, the start bench cut. That's brought to brought to us by our good friends at MVP Marketing Group, a turnkey marketing solution for all schools. Denton Ryan, uh, longtime head football coach, now the AD at Denton ISC, Joey Florence. He's got a testimonial uh, for MVP Marketing Group on their website. Other clients are Salina, Crowley, Mesquite, uh, just to name a few. So basically what they do is if, if, if you want to market your program to try to attract local sponsors, you know, to, to to basically partner with you, give you money so you can upgrade your facilities. That's what Mike Vogler, the CEO, helps you do. He'll put together a plan for you. So his, his info is in the show notes. You can reach out to him. He'll just talk to you. He'll talk to you. If, if he thinks, if y'all think it's a good fit, you can move forward, tell him Coach Kovo sent you and he'll give you a discount. So definitely want to promote that service uh, that several schools are taking advantage of. All right, here we go. Now it's time. We're going to start with a steel curtain linebacker edition. I know you're an old linebacker. You oh, love yeah. Coach. You love coaching your linebackers, you know? So yeah. I pulled out a couple names for you here. I I was going to – I thought about Jack Ham and Jack Lambert because I know that they're Steelers royalty, but I was like, maybe that's too far. I mean, I know we weren't really watching them, you know, in person. So I, I went with Greg Lloyd. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I kind of debated on this one. Kevin Green was there, but for a very short period of time. So you can tell me if we should remove him. And uh, James Harrison. I thought maybe we could put Joey Porter in there. I'm, I'm curious your thoughts. Let me start with this. Who would you say are the top three linebackers in your opinion? And then we'll, then we'll go start bench cut. Uh, you know, um, staying with the steel curtain edition, uh, you know, Greg Lloyd and James Harrison are, are dudes. Yeah. They're just guys, you know? Um, and, uh, you, you know, if we're going to go off, off topic slightly. Sure. Sure. Um, um, you know, uh, Ray Lewis, that, uh, you hear linebacker and you think Ray Lewis, you know, and, and knowing some guys that played for that team and played around him and to hear them talk about how genuine he was um, as, as, as a guy on the team and as a leader on the team, um, I have to go, man, that, that, that's a guy, you know, that's, that's a dude. Throw him in there. Um, Let's do it. Let's do it. But yeah, I mean, uh, Greg, Greg Lloyd and James Harrison, uh, you know, both of them were five, five time pro bowlers. Wow. Um, James Harrison was an undrafted free agent. Love that. Um, and, 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 you know, Greg Lloyd definitely was, was further back, back in those heyday years of the steel curtain, Yeah, you know? Um, and, and even though Greg Lloyd was drafted by Philly, we'll, we'll forgive him for that. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, just, just watching, um, watching 
those guys that, like I said, I got, I've got cards of Greg Lloyd's, you know, um, and, and watching those guys growing up and just the grit um, and, and the game has changed a little bit since then, you know, it's, it's much more of a finesse game than just, you know, pound a football down somebody's throat kind of, kind of game like it used to be, but to watch, to watch guys just have no fear and go plug holes and, and go make tackles and go blow, blow up blocks and defeat blocks. Um, Greg Lloyd, just, uh, he's the dude. I, I gotta, I gotta put him as, as a guy that I'm going to start all day long. Okay. Uh, I was going to say, so you're starting Greg that. Lloyd over Ray Lewis. I, I would, I would, that's a toughie. <laughs> <laughs> See you squirming in your seat. Coach. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I, I, if we're going to go a little old school, I, I would, uh, I, I would start Greg Lloyd Love there, it. there for that. Yeah. So start uh, Greg Lloyd, yeah. we'll bench Ray Lewis and we're going to have to cut James uh, Harrison. Unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I would, yeah. um, I, I would put it that way. Yeah. Fair, fair enough. Now one more. <laughs> and I mean, this is just other position addition. I know they don't all play the same position. Sure. Having fun here, ranking them, start bench cut Troy Polamalu. Mean Joe Green, you got to have in a Steelers talk. You got to talk about Mean Joe Green, sure. And then sure. Rod Woodson, another guy I know in your era that I'm sure you are a big Rod Woodson fan. You probably got a couple yeah. of cards, so yeah. Troy Polamalu, um, Mean Joe Green, and Rod Woodson. It, it, you know, it's it's before I answer your question, it's funny that uh, it's funny that you know you're bringing up older guys, guys that I know that kids nowadays don't sure don't know who a lot of these guys are. You know, and yeah. I'll make a comment to kids like if I want to comment about a dual threat quarterback, the first guy that comes to mind for me is Cordell Stewart. Love it. Yes. And, and I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll be like, yeah, so this guy's like Cordell Stewart. And the kids look at me like who, right, and, and right. Bobby will have to give me, you know, somebody modern that, that the kids can relate to. And I'm, okay. All right. Yeah. There you go. Love um, it. Love it. you know, uh, me and Joe green with the, with the Coke mm-hmm. and, and the multiple takes they, they had to do to get that. I know <laughs> he was tired of drinking Coke. Um, uh, you know, uh, again, to me, it comes down with a dude that just showed no fear, and that was Troy. I mean, yep. uh, that was a guy that would come from safety. It, if he was big enough to line up at D tackle, I think he would have done it. Yeah, you know, and and that that just that just would come down and just deliver a, a you know like a blow from Thor's hammer kind of thing. Yes, yes, that, that that would shock people, and then could go cover like lightning. You know, I mean. Uh, you know, I, I would, I would have to start Troy, um, in that group and then start Troy bench rod and I'd have to cut me in jail. Hey, okay. <laughs> well, well, I, I didn't see that office okay. and let him be the face of, of things there, you know, understood. Understood. Yeah. understood. I love it. Now, last one, we are going <laughs> to, we're going to just finally end up a little sick edition here. You know, I know you're, you're a big Baylor bear. You bleed green. Of course, we'd all start Bobby Darnell, but I didn't put him. I did not put him in this uh, particular grouping. <laughs> but these guys have HISD roots, which you know you were a Booker T. Washington, and a little bit of mm-hmm. Syntex roots. Of course, you were in that area, uh, growing yeah. up in Marble Falls. But let's start with Mike Singletary, who went to HISD Worthing. Okay, so he, he's a Worthing, I think Colt, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, RG three Robert Griffin the third from Copperas Cove. Yeah, and then Santana Dotson, just like Coach Chop. And Coach Banks, he is, he is a Yates Lion. So we're going to go yeah. to Dotson, a longtime Packer, uh, Robert Griffin the third, and Mike Singletary for our Baylor Bear start bench cut. Sure. So, um, you know, RG3 graduated high school early and came into Baylor in the spring. And I remember sitting there watching that spring game. And I think 
I, I, you know, having mentioned Cordell Stewart, I think a lot of the problems with his career was he was further ahead than the game was at that point. Mm. You know, coaches didn't know how to use, utilize that dual threat out of him. Mm. And then watching RG3 in that spring game, I thought to myself, this dude looks like Cordell Stewart as an early college, but already with those abilities, you know, and just to just watch him do the things that he did were just, you you don't get statues built for you if you're nobody. (laughs) I mean, and his statue stands there in the shadow of McLean stadium. Um, I have, I have not had the, the um, uh, ability to be around coach Singletary, unfortunately. Um, But, but um, I've been around uh, Santana a couple of times and, um, and actually was at a, a Baylor function with him a couple of weeks ago. And I, I'm, I'm more familiar and know more some of his teammates. But, sure. um, you know, I, I was an RA in college in the dorms also. It was my student job that got me a little bit extra money. Yeah. And, and we were cleaning out a closet one year, storage closet, and came across this poster. And it was Santana and some of the guys that played with him that back when they were playing, you know. And it's just – it's something I still have. It's a great piece of memorabilia. That's a toughie, you know, being that they're all in, in different spots – but yeah, thinking, a little tough for the position, but <laughs> we're just having fun with it. And this is you a know, tough list. There's um, some good bears that have come through. It, that, it is. Yeah. It is because Mike Singletary did a whole lot for the program, you know, and all yeah. three of them did. Um, uh, I don't know if I can cut any of those guys, honestly. Um, you know, um, I, 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 that's I, fair. Let, let's just, <laughs> let's do this. Let's just start. Let's start one and bench two. I'll, sure, I'll take I, it easy on you. No, I don't want, I don't want to in trouble <laughs> with your classmates. So. <laughs> Who would you um, start if you had to go? If you had to win, if you got to go win the, the district championship tomorrow, which one of these dudes are you taking with you onto the field? I, I got to start RG three, you know, and, and I I go back to uh, some amazing wins that he produced for the program at the time the program was making that turn, you know, and and like I said, when I played three win four win season was the best we ever did. I like I remember our first Big Twelve win. And it was like, you know, the heavens opened up and the angels started singing kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and and he was there at a pivotal moment of really making some changes in the program. Um, and and some, like I said, some some big wins, you know, AM and OU and mm-hmm. and and some some things that people just never thought would happen. Um, he had a, a hand on directly. Um, so I, I'm gonna have to start RG3. And and bench uh, Coach Singletary and, and Santana. I know I, I can just see the pain on your face, Coach. And I do this every. I, week. I know. I'm gonna next time I see Santana at a function, I'm gonna go. Oh, I hope he didn't hear that. <laughs> <laughs> Don't let Coach Chop and Coach Banks get the word back. I know. I know the jacket. The jackets lines are thick, so yeah. you gotta yeah, yeah, gotta yeah. watch out. <laughs> well, Coach, this was fun. If, if if you're listening and you enjoyed it as much as I did, please take a moment. Uh, to give us a five-star review. This drives us up the chart so more people can hear these stories. And, and also word of mouth, please. If, if you're enjoying it, just tell a friend. I mean, so many, I've had so many people reach out and say that they're enjoying the show. So just, just tell a friend, let them enjoy it as well. Hit that follow button to subscribe and you'll get a new episode of the Team Player Podcast every Sunday at 2 p.m. And then if you're loving the Team Player Podcast, tell us about it. Reach out to me on Twitter. Uh, send me an email at teamplayerpodcastgmail.com. We lift up our own inside of here. Like Co- Coach Haddock, I just could see that he was a fan. He was liking everything that we put out there. And so that's what we do here. We're, we're trying to build a community of like-minded people. So just please reach out at any time if anything that we can do to help you. As always, the cover art and music for the Team Player Podcast are provided by two of my former players I love so much. The cover art is by Kaiser St. Cyr. And our intro and exit music is One More Good Enough 
uh, from Avrion's self-titled debut album. He's a Clements alum. That's his, his stage name is Avrion, but that's Dominique Williams. He mm-hmm. ended up having an all-American career at Midwestern State in Wichita Falls. And then you can find his music on all platforms by searching for Avrion. That's A-V-R-I-O-N. Coach Haddock, man, I, I've just really enjoyed these past couple of years getting to know you better. Just so happy for all your success. And thank you for coming on the show. Thanks. Yeah, I, I appreciate it. I'm looking forward to getting to see you here in a couple of weeks. Absolutely. Thank you so much to all the team players out there for your support, and we'll catch y'all down the road. It always feel like I need one more boy and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head. Lost my mind, insuring them, I'm just fine, I'm good enough, but I need one more boy, one more line, record the track just one more time, my family think I bumped my head, lost my mind, insuring them, I'm just fine, I'm good enough, but I need one more boy, one more line, record the track just one more time, my family think I bumped my head, lost my mind, insuring them, I'm just fine, I'm good enough, I'm good enough.